Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. everybody, welcome to another episode of Light the Fight. I'm one of your hosts, David Kozlowski. And today's episode is hot off the press, coming to you straight out of the halls of a high school from a classroom that I taught today. And it wasn't just any normal lesson, it was our midterm lesson in the classroom. So today's lesson slash episode is directly coming from that experience I had with a bunch of teenagers and for all you parents out there, I think this will be very helpful information to help you better understand how to teach your kids or how to give them the opportunity to become more competent at communicating thoughts, feelings, especially things that are important and are serious. But before I do that, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, 1-800-CONTACTS and Lingo Eyewear. If you're in the market for some new glasses and you want some Nice baddies like the one I'm wearing right now. If you're on our Patreon, you'll be able to see this episode. You can see my, what I think are nice looking lingo eyewear.com glasses. I, gosh, I was thinking about it. I was going to say I've gotten compliments on them, but now I think about it, I don't know if I have gotten compliments on them. No, I have. I've gotten two compliments on them. Whew, that was rough. I almost thought for a second <laughs> I was giving them the worst ad ever. No, I've gotten a couple compliments from them, but most importantly, I like the way they look. So I just want to give a shout out to Lingo Eyewear. If you're in the market though, you can go to Lingo Eyewear. That's L-I-I-N-G-O eyewear.com backslash light the fight. And when you go there, you can use promo code light the fight for $30 off your first pair of glasses. So yeah, so today we got a little um, episode for you that came about in a very unique way. So what had happened was uh, a local teacher um, reached out to me and said that she wanted to come and sit in and observe my class. Uh, we talked about this before. She'd heard of this class. She's curious. She's got a great passion for helping kids, specifically with their mental, emotional well-being. She's a mom. She's raised some kids. So she gets the whole entire thing. And on top of it, she's also a teacher. So she said, hey, can I come in and sit in on a, an, a class with you? And I said, absolutely. So I chose for her to come sit in on our midterm. Now, the midterm is not a normal class, but the reason why I asked her to sit in on the midterm is because the midterm is basically a social experiment. What I mean by that is I ran these nonprofit social support groups for many years called Quit Trippin'. If you've, lift, if you've listened to the podcast for quite some time, you've heard me talk about it. For over 10 years, I put on these free social support groups. They're kind of like Therapy for teenagers minus the therapy and all the stigmas of disorders and diagnosis and stuff like that. So kids would come every week, sit in a big circle. We'd laugh, we'd talk, we'd cry, but they didn't have to talk. In fact, sometimes kids would come for months without ever saying a word, which on the outside seemed odd. It's like, okay, their parents aren't forcing them to be here. This is free. They're coming on their own free will but yet they never say anything, but yet they show up every week like they're into it and they like it. Well, what would always happen was eventually 
the silence would break. In fact, there was a running joke. The kids who would come to group the first time, because they would come to these groups by being invited by a friend. So a friend would come to the group and feel it helped them and their mental and emotional well-being and help them in their relationships in their life. And they would tell a friend, hey, you should come to this group with me. You'd really like it. So since it was free and it wasn't therapy or anything like that, they'd come to try it out once. And it was always a jinx. Whenever someone would tell their friend, okay, I'll come. I just won't talk. Like, don't expect me to talk. I'm not going to say anything. Just sit there. It was always the jinx because every time someone said that to their friend, the very first time they came, not only did they talk, but they broke down crying, laughing. And it was one of those experiences where they basically jinxed themselves by saying, I'm not going to talk about my feelings. There's no way I'm not going to do that, but I'll go to support you because you're my friend. Next thing you know, they're crying, talking about their life and they're feeling comfortable to open up and share, which was always a good thing. Well, in the class, I do a modified, mellower version of that for the midterm. So in this midterm, I ask the kids just one simple question. And in order for them to get an A for the midterm, instead of having to take a big test and memorize something, all they had to do was just answer this question. Now, they had to do a couple other things, which I'll share in a moment. But what happened was they would answer this question. The question was, what is something that you wish you could change about your life? two different versions of that question. So the first version is what is something you wish you could change at something more silly or kind of like kind of joking and not that big of a deal. And once, and what is something that's more serious? So I call this silly and serious. So they would each have a turn. They'd start off by saying their name. And then after they'd say their name, they'd say something silly that they wish they could change and then explain why. Then they'd share something serious that they wish they could change and explain why. Well, to help this go better, we always have kids do a nonverbal expression to let the person know that's talking, that they understand them, they feel for them, they sympathize, they empathize with them, or they just like want to show some sort of support for the person that's talking. We found this to be very important in the groups I did because a lot of times kids would say very personal information, things that were really deep and and after the kid got done talking, they would kind of open up their eyes and realize that nobody was saying anything. There was no feedback, good or bad. And so the kid that would talk would often look around and be like, okay, uh, never mind then. Uh, okay, so anyways, uh, take it all back. Now, we've all had those experiences in life where we share something deep and personal or something that's very meaningful to us, only to notice the person that we're talking to is just staring at us with a blank look on their face. And we have no idea if they're judging us, criticizing us, or what happens. So, of course, most people assume the worst. And then we want to take back our words and we start to get shy and go note to self. Maybe it wasn't a good idea to be so vulnerable. So in my class, this is a social health class. I want kids to be open and vulnerable. And you know, I want them to feel comfortable. And also, most importantly, I want them to get practice at talking about important things to them. That's something that if you don't get practice at, you don't just wake up and you're amazing at communicating deep personal thoughts and feelings. So we give them practice in class. So in order to help them share support for people who are talking, we have them just pat their heart twice. If they see someone, so open palm, pat their heart two times. If they hear someone in the class say something that they can remotely relate to, they think is funny, they think is powerful, something that they can relate to, you know, on a deep level. And it's just kind of like one for me, one for you. The heartbeat has two beats. Boom, boom. So it's one for me, one for you. 
the kids in the support groups did it for years. And they all said, man, when they would see other kids in the room patting their heart twice, it was a huge relief. Because when you're talking with strangers or people that you don't know that well, and you talk about things that are important to you, it's pretty scary, nerve wracking. But when you see them pat their heart twice, your brain goes, but when you see them pat their heart twice, your brain goes, note to self, you're not crazy. Other people can relate. Other people feel where you're coming from. They're vibing with you. It gives you a green light to keep talking. So these kids got it really well. They all they were all looking at, you know, looking up in the sky going, oh, that's right. Mr. Cause is making sense. Okay, maybe we should pat our heart twice, but they'd never tried this before. So they didn't know, they had no idea what was going to go on. I've been doing this for you know, 13 years now. I know exactly what's going to happen. So I'm sitting there smiling with a smirk on my face going, ooh, this is about to get good. So as always, someone starts talking. One kid will say, hey, you know, something silly is I wish I was taller. I wish I had a different uh, hair color, eye color. Um, one kid's like, I wish I could put on weight. I'm so skinny and my family is so much bigger and stronger than I am. So, you know, they give some details and they laugh about it. But really quickly, they find out that the serious one has an emotional effect on them in ways they didn't plan. So as we're doing this exercise, I'll give you a couple examples of some serious things that people said. And then I'm going to tell you this question that the teacher that was observing asked me afterwards because she was very curious about why I did something. So some of the things that were said that were on the serious side for the kids were sharing that a loved one had passed away. One of the kids shared that he wished that he could bring his, uh, his baby sister back that died when she was just one years old. And this is a 15 year old. So, you know, these teenagers walk around, you know, wearing their styles, sometimes trying to act too cool for school, sometimes, you know, looking like they're disinterested or, you know, they don't care about what's going on. And instantly in a moment, everybody knew that that kid was being serious and he wasn't joking. This was not a game. And you could see everyone lean in and pay attention. To watch a classroom of 35 high schoolers have their cell phones on them and nobody choose to look at their cell phone for an hour and a half because the conversations that were happening with their peers in front of them were far more intriguing and far more interesting and they were learning more from listening to their peers than they could ever possibly learn than staring or scrolling on social media. That's a very powerful. It's something you almost have to experience because every adult that I bring into these groups, whether it be at the social support groups they used to hold or adults that come into my midterms and finals, they watch it and they're blown away. They're like, oh my gosh, like these kids were genuinely engaged. They weren't thinking about anything else from the outside world. A couple other things that you heard um, that were said in, in class today were um, the death of a parent, death of grandparents. Um, some kids wishing that they could go back in time and taking back things that they did, things that they said, because they realize now that they made a huge mistake in their life. They held judgment, resentment. They did things out of anger, out of fear, um, that they, they just knew were wrong and they don't know how to go back and apologize for it. Or they wish that, that the person would forgive them for the mistakes that they made. So very powerful experience. So many kids cried and shed tears and shared personal things. Now, mind you, I don't have them get into great detail about it because we want to keep the, want to be reverent to respecting that this is their privacy and this is not therapy or counseling. We go over them that this is not therapy or counseling. However, 
everyone agrees that the things we talk about in class will stay in class. And in two years of doing this at the high school, we haven't had one issue of a kid coming back and saying, oh yeah, stuff I said in class was used against me or people judge me or criticize me for that. In fact, it's always the opposite. People come back to me and say, wow, I made connections and friendships with people in class. People treated me better because now they understood me better so they could treat me according to how they would want to be treated if they'd went through what I went through, um, if they'd went through in their life what I had went through or was going through. So at the end of the class, great two classes, the teacher, she and I were going over a lot of different insights and information. She's thirsty for knowledge, just want to know more about what was going on in the process. She loved it. How could she bring some of this to her school? And she asked me this question and she said, she goes, I saw something very interesting. She said, I noticed that not all the boys you did this with, she said, but I noticed that a lot of the boys, when it was their turn, they would say something serious and they would get personal. They'd get a little emotional. Some of them would even start to tear up a little bit and you'd let them talk. When they're done talking, you kind of just sat there for a second. And then after that, you moved on to the next person. She said, but I noticed that the girls, when they would start to open up and share more serious things, you gave them a little bit more time. And then when they had more time, they expressed more. Um, they got into more details. She did say, however, there was a handful of boys in both classes, though, that I actually gave them more time and asked them a question, asked them to elaborate a little bit more on you know, what, what was going on. And she said, I'm just curious, like, how come you mostly did that with girls, a couple boys, but for most of the boys there, you didn't really just wait that long for them to go deeper. You didn't ask them deeper questions. You just kind of gave them this like look and just kind of like this, I don't know, this kind of look. She's like, I'm just trying to understand as a, as a mom, a single mom with older sons, like I'm just understand trying to understand like how to better connect with them. And then I have male students and I was wondering if that was on accident or if that was on purpose. And I said, oh, this was definitely on purpose. Now, what I'm calling this episode of the podcast uh, most parents know that um, with their kids, they have to crawl before they walk. Just, it's a saying. People have heard of it. We use it in normal life. Like, hey, you got to crawl before you walk. When someone tells you, hey, you got to crawl before you walk, what they're really telling you is that there is a developmental process that takes time. Kids don't just come out of the womb and start running downhill or running uphill or running at all. They take time to develop. And the first part of their development is they crawl for a while. After they crawl, they eventually see other people walking. They eventually start to stand and get their balance and they start taking their first steps. And then they learn to walk. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because this is a similar concept that I want you as parents, teachers, or whoever you are out there that are working with young people. I want, the, I want you to realize and take this into consideration. From my experience, we have to allow our kids to crawl before they're competent. What I'm referring to that is with communication. A lot of times parents will tell me, I know my kid is clever and smart. They can sneak out at night. They, they're clever enough to make up lies. They can hack the internet when they're not supposed to be on it or house. They can, you know, like log on to Xbox when I thought I shut it down. You know, you see all these clever, intelligent things your kids can do. And so because they're capable of doing those high level things, or even if they're capable of communicating 
every now and then at a high level, like they're competent in it, at it, it gives us an unrealistic expectation that if they start to communicate and they start to open up a little bit, then that means they're capable of opening up a lot, being really deep. And that means that they're open up for more questions and that we should try to get more information out of them at that particular time. I told this teacher, I said, this was not an accident that I did that. I said, I know these boys that you're referring to. I've known them for half the quarter already. I read their homework assignments. Their homework assignments are personal insight about their thoughts and feelings about themselves, their friends, their family, just personal assessments, right? And as I'm reading the assignments, as I'm watching them and interacting with them in class, I gauge, I call it a heat check. I give a heat check to see where they're at in their competency, meaning how effective are they at communicating about sincere, vulnerable things. Well, for a lot of these boys, this is a whole new world, right? This is something where as they're talking, they're shaking. And as they're saying something serious, you could tell in their mind, they're thinking, I was not planning on crying. What the heck's going on? Why am I tearing up right now? Like I always make the joke, I, I, as I see a young man or anyone in class start to open up and getting caught in their feelings, I could tell them, I'll give you a million dollars if you don't cry right now, but you keep talking about the same subject. They would all lose out on that million dollars. They couldn't stop themselves because what they're talking about is actually so important. It's so relevant to them. And they have such little experience sharing this out loud in front of peers that it rattles them and they get nervous. But when they share something personal, when they share something vulnerable, instead of pressing them for more information because technically they've showed that they're capable of it, I take that concept and that that inside of, I got to let them crawl before I assume that they're really competent. Meaning this is just all new for them. This They're dipping their toe in the water. They don't know how to swim yet. And when I explained it to her like that, she was like, oh, a heat check. I'm asking them the question. They're answering the question, but I'm checking to see how comfortable their body language and everything is with talking about deep personal things like that. It's just the midterm. We're going to do this again, something similar to this at the final at the very end. The second half of the quarter, they're going to be doing a lot of cool games and things where they experience with their classmates to get to know them better, to connect with them. So after this midterm, this is kind of like the breakthrough for a lot of them. Now, the girls, on the other hand, that she was referring to, these girls were ready and they just needed the right scenario, the right situation, and the right question to elicit them to talk about their thoughts and feelings. These girls were already ready to do it. A lot of the girls in the class that went on and talked in, in more detail had confessed on their own will, not me saying anything, that they'd been to therapy, they'd been to counseling. Then they saw that other people in the, cl the class would start pounding their hearts. Then they noticed that other people, when they said they went to therapy, that other girls were like, huh? Give them the shock. Like They'd look at their friend like, me too. And they're like, wait, what? This feeling of like, wait a second. By me sharing deep, personal, vulnerable things, I get a positive reward by people in the class patting their hearts, by people in the class sharing that they could relate. And then by when people, it was other, someone else's turn to talk, they would refer to someone else in class and say, yeah, I feel a lot like what Steve said or what Joni said or what Stacy said. It's because they found out that being vulnerable was valuable and it was something that they felt if they did this, it would make them more relatable. 
Now, the guys that were going at this, and you could tell it was new for them to do this, they were happy. It felt good, but it was still such an awkward place for them to be in. If I would have sat there and been like, so tell us more about the thing that you're really awkward and uncomfortable talking about because you don't ever talk about it, and you're obviously nervous even though you're feeling good, you're still a little scared how people are judging you. If I were to question them and interrogate them or try to get them to elicit this, well, then that would be like therapy. And that's not what our class is. Our class isn't therapy. It's social interaction, social health. So by me giving them a moment to talk and then moving on to the next person, it was a heat check to validate, hey, listen, good job. You did a great job. You gave her the thumbs up. And that look that she was wondering that I was giving these boys, if you could see me on camera right now, you'll see what I'm doing. If you can't see me, just imagine my head's cocked back and tilted backwards to the right a little bit. And I give them this little smirk and smile of like, I see you. Good job. It's just that like, that look that you give across the room to your kid or to your friend when they've nailed something, they do a great job, but you don't want to make the attention about you. You don't want to take it off of them and you don't want to be like, oh my gosh, you cleaned your room to get today. I'm so proud of you. And they're like, mom, I'm 17 years old. Stop making such a big deal that like I'm supposed to clean my room. Even though you're proud of them, there's certain times that you got to play it cool and lay low and not make a big deal out about a big, huge thing they just did. So for you parents out there and people listening and working with teenagers and young people, crawling before competent means just because the kid is talking to you, it could be your kid, someone else's kid, just because they're expressing and opening up about their feelings doesn't mean that they're actually competent and can successfully do that every single time. Give them an attaboy, an girl. give them that, that little head nod, that little wink of the eye, the little, good job, and allow them to get a reward for doing something that's difficult. By the way, every single one of these kids, even the kids who socially are seeming like they're more successful, they're talking, they have lots of friends, those kids noticeably were nervous and scared. And they even admitted like, oh man, like I'm nervous. Like people may think that, you know, I'm, I'm really confident in this area, but I'm really not. Like I'm nervous. This one kid's like, I've moved 10 times in the past two years. And I don't know why he's moved that so much, but he was like, it's so hard for me to meet new friends that I'm not that confident. I act like I'm social, like I got it all together, but I don't. For other kids in the class to hear that kids say that, that's all they needed to hear. If I would have been like, okay, so tell us what it's like to move to every single class. Give more details so everybody knows exactly so that you can live all of your truth right now at this moment. A, that would take away from other people's time and that's not good because I want everybody to feel like they're not pressured that they have time, but when they're done, we can move on to someone else. B, if this person is just starting to stretch out, starting to communicate about something difficult in front of peers that they don't know well, I don't want them to get exhausted. I call it social cardio. Everyone's social cardio is not going to be very good if they don't use it a lot. Just like our actual physical cardio is not going to be that good if we don't run a lot. So it's going to be hard to run a marathon if you never run. You got to build up to that. So as parents and as people, professionals, teachers, whatever it is, if you're working with young people, gauge where that person's at in their social and emotional competency, how, how well they express themselves. Instead of feeling that they need to be pushed because they're being open, sit back, engage, and say, you know what? Maybe what they talked about today was good enough, especially if you're a parent. 
if you get your kid to open up and share and admit an insecurity or something that that they don't like about themselves or a mistake they made or a lie that they did, that is not the time to pressure them or press them for more information. In fact, the way I'd suggest you handle this is sometimes you may even have to stop a child or a teenager from communicating if you feel like they're getting a little too rattled or they're starting to have what's called pressured speech where they start getting anxious and really kind of like out of breath. What you want to do is you want to tell them that when they hit that mark, when you feel like, wow, like they opened up and they said something important and they said the thing that you really needed to know, confirm to them that what they did was good. Say something like this. You know, can I just interrupt you for a second? I just want to tell you, you know, you're doing a really good job. I know what you're talking about right now is not easy for you to talk about. I just want to tell you, you're killing it. You're doing a great job. Sometimes just to stop them and interrupt them and let them know that you understand them, you get where they're coming from, thank them for taking the time, congratulate them because you know this isn't easy because, you know, talking to parents, you could even say like, hey, even when I talk to my parents, I still get nervous and I'm an adult. Let them know that they hit the mark, that they've do it, that they've done a good job, they're doing a good job. I even have some of my clients, some of my parents tell their kids, hey, you know, that's enough for now. I know in the past I'd be like, get all excited, want more information. But last thing I want is this to turn into a two and a half conversation. Next thing you know, we forget what we even started talking about. I just want you to know that I appreciate you being honest with me and thank you. And that's it. Crawl before they're competent. Just remember that in your mind to remind you that when you get information from your kids, it's good and it's great. Assuming it's not life-threatening and it's just something that you just want more information from, you remind yourself of let them crawl before they can be totally competent and get better at talking about their thoughts and feelings in more in depth, more detail, and for longer. This is going to help you show your kids that expressing their thoughts and feelings to you and telling you the truth or admitting when they did something wrong is a good thing. If every time they express themselves to you and they get trapped in a long conversation or you get into parent mode and you want more details because most parents tell me they're like, oh my gosh, my kid never opens up and talks. So since they're opening up and talk, I got to get as much and extract as much information as I can. (sighs) And I tell them, tranquilo, 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 take it easy. Okay. This is a warm up. You want to reward them for what they're doing instead of stressing them and pressing them to do more of it, to do more of it before they get really good at it. So crawl, before you're competent, make sure you give your kids time to share a little bit and that's enough. You can always circle back around. You can finish that conversation, have them elaborate it more in the future. Because if they talk about their feelings and everything that's going on in their life and they talk about it too long or you start talking to them and start asking more questions, the best of intentions of them to share things with you or for you to just help them with more problems can get a little out of hand. And next thing you know, an argument can pop off. You can start getting too deep in the details and forget where you began in the beginning. And that's not exactly what we want. That's not good repetitions for communication. The best repetition is you talk until you hit that sweet spot. And after that, you mic drop and just let that be there. Return back to it when the time is right. And uh, after they've had a chance to just sit and process about what they thought about. Okay. 
All right, guys. Thanks as always for being members of the Light the Fight community and family. If you haven't heard about our Patreon, if you'd like to see this episode uh, on video, and if you'd like to get a bonus episode every single week, all you got to do is pay an extra five bucks. You just go to patreon.com. That's www.patreon.com backslash light the fight as one of my big uh, lamps just fell over in the corner of our studio. So again, www.patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash light the fight. And check it out. If you want to be a member of our Patreon, then yeah, you get to get the video recording this and you get an extra bonus episode of extra content, extra information every single week. And uh, yeah, and also too, it helps us support the podcast so we can continue to do what we're doing. So until next time, thank you for helping us to light the fight.